This episode contains discussions about human remains that, while not detailed or descriptive, may be unsuitable for some audiences. After more than a week of deadly jungle fighting, American and Filipino forces finally pushed a Japanese invasion unit off Quinaun Point on Bataan Peninsula's western coast. During those nine days of battle, the Philippine scouts' 57th Infantry had played a lethal game of tug-of-war, the 57th Infantry taking ground only to have Japanese forces push them back. The 57th would retake some ground, then lose it again, and so it went. The fighting had been ferocious, and the 57th suffered heavy casualties. But now the point was cleared, and the 57th Infantry could search for their fallen brothers. B Company's commanding officer accompanied a grave registration officer through the thick, dense jungle undergrowth to a body which had laid a couple of football fields length behind enemy lines for more than a week. Looking down at what remained of his fallen comrade, the captain said, That's Cheney, 2nd Lieutenant Ira Cheney, service number 23965. Very good, the grave registration officer replied, noting down the captain's identification information. Fellow servicemen cautiously placed Lieutenant Cheney's body onto a stretcher and carried him to a waiting truck that was holding Cheney's fellow deceased servicemen. I'm taking Cheney to Maravellis, where he'll be buried, the registration officer told Company B's captain. The captain watched as the truck rumbled away down the winding, dusty dirt road that led south to Maravellis on Bataan Peninsula's southern tip. It was the last time that captain ever saw Lieutenant Cheney, but it was just the first of many conversations he would have about the location of Cheney's burial. This is Left Behind. Welcome to Left Behind, a podcast about the people left behind when the U.S. surrendered the Philippines in the early days of World War II. I'm Anastasia Harmon, and I tell you the stories of World War II servicemen and women, civilians, guerrillas, and others captured by the Japanese forces in the Philippines. My great-grandfather, Alma Sam, was one of the POWs, and his memoir inspired me to tell stories of his fellow captives. In this episode, we're going to get a bit controversial by uncovering a potential U.S. Army cover-up. At the same time, it's a tangled detective story about the identification of remains of servicemen killed in action on Bataan, including those of World War II's first Medal of Honor recipient, Alexander Nininger, whose story I told in the last episode. Today, Nininger's remains are classified by the U.S. Army as non-recoverable, but perhaps they shouldn't be. The battles on Bataan were chaotic, but there was a method among all the madness to identify, inter, and then, after hostilities had ended, to disinter those bodies, identify them, then rebury them with appropriate honors in hometown or military cemeteries. But for some servicemen on Bataan, such as Nininger and his friend Ira Cheney, that method failed. And to this day, their remains have not been identified either because the remains truly are not recoverable, or because of military ineptitude, or even, perhaps, because of an army cover-up. However, no matter the cause, 
Cheney, Nininger, and other unrecovered servicemen on Bataan have been left behind in the Philippines for 81 years. And it's them I'm remembering for Memorial Day. Let's jump in. Ira Boswell Cheney Jr. was born February 4, 1917 in Mobile, Alabama, the only child of Ira Sr. and Mildred Cheney. The family moved quite frequently during Ira's childhood. In 1920, they lived in Portland, Oregon, but by 1930, they were in San Leandro in the San Francisco Bay Area. Soon thereafter, however, they settled in Pasadena, California. In August 1934, 17-year-old Ira enlisted in the 25th Reserve Marines of Los Angeles, California. He was given the rank of private and attended Company A's drills the very day he enlisted. I think this was a junior ROTC unit. I haven't found details about this specific unit, but some high schools in larger cities did have junior ROTC programs in the mid-1930s. His enlistment coincided with the start of his senior year at South Pasadena High School. During that year, in addition to his reserve Marine service, Ira played on the varsity football team, which apparently lost the championship game by just one point, was part of the boys league, which encouraged school spirit among the high school's boys, and participated in Cums Club, National Athletic Scholarship Society, and the S Club, which all means that he was very busy on the yearbook's club picture day. After high school graduation in 1935, he attended Pasadena Junior College and remained in the Reserve Marines, where he rose from private to senior captain and was commander of a special drill squad. His commandant recommended him for a West Point appointment, so, right after graduating from junior college in 1937, he headed across the country to become a cadet at the United States Military Academy, commonly known as West Point. While at school, he became friends with Alexander Sandy Nininger. After graduation in June 1941, both men were assigned to Georgia's Fort Benning for training. In addition, Cheney had been commissioned as a second lieutenant upon graduation from West Point. About a month later, Ira married Lillian Jackson in Yuma, Arizona. I don't know how they knew each other, but they both lived in the LA area, so perhaps they knew each other before Ira went to West Point. Also, with Ira stationed in Georgia and Lillian perhaps living in Southern California, I have no idea why they married in Arizona. But shortly after their marriage, they returned to Fort Benning until Ira was ordered overseas. Lieutenant Ira Cheney arrived in the Philippines on November 20, 1941. He reported for duty to the 57th Infantry Philippine Scouts under the command of Colonel Robert Brooks. Cheney's West Point friend, Sandy Nininger, was also assigned to this unit. The war started two weeks later, and in late December, Cheney withdrew with the rest of U.S. forces to the Bataan Peninsula. He was among the first line of defense at the U.S.'s front line near Abuque, which is on Bataan's northeastern coast. Cheney, Nininger, and the rest of this unit were part of the first battles on Bataan. I described this first action in Sandy Nininger's episode, number 16, so I'm not going to go into details here. However, the actions Cheney performed near Abuque on January 13, 1942 would earn him the Distinguished Service Cross the U.S. Army's second highest honor. His cross citation reads, 
On the 13th of January, 1942, enemy snipers were delivering accurate and deadly fire into our lines from concealed vantage points in nearby trees. These tactics had resulted in many casualties and consequent lowering of morale among the personnel of Lieutenant Cheney's battalion. Understanding the seriousness of the situation, he assembled a group of enlisted men and undertook to drive out the hostile snipers. Leading a group personally in repeated charges into the position occupied by the enemy, Lieutenant Cheney successfully silenced the damaging fire and relieved the severe pressure on his unit. The 57th Infantry and other units involved in those first battles fought hard and suffered many casualties, including Cheney's friend Sandy Nininger. But they held their ground. And then, a week later, on January 20th, Cheney's company was called south to the Kuanaon Point on Bataan's western coast, where they were assigned to clear the point of a Japanese landing unit. It was difficult fighting in dense jungle foliage. I described this battle in episode 14 if you'd like to hear more details. A report later stated, On 30 January 1942, Lieutenant Cheney was killed after advancing approximately 100 yards while leading an attack on Japanese positions. A counterattack by the Japanese forced the American forces to withdraw several hundred yards. Cheney was five days shy of his 25th birthday. He had been in the Philippines just nine weeks. Because the Japanese had taken the position, his unit was not able to retrieve Cheney's body until a week later when U.S. forces had retaken Quinaun Point. When found, Cheney was identified by his company's captain, and the Graves Registration Officer said the body would be taken to a cemetery near Maravellis on Bataan's southern tip. Three months later, the U.S. War Department publicly announced that Ira Cheney had been awarded the Distinguished Service Cross. Ira's parents and his young wife Lillian were presented with the medal and citation at a ceremony in California. And that's where I'd usually end the story, but not today. You see, while Lieutenant Ira Cheney was in the Philippines for just nine weeks in life, in death, he has been there, location unknown, for 81 years. And that's what I truly call left behind. But there's a reason for this. And that story begins with Cheney's best friend, Lieutenant Alexander Nininger, the first person to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor during World War II. Because this revered American hero is also missing on Bataan. And, as you'll see, that's an embarrassing, touchy subject for the U.S. Army, because they've lost a Medal of Honor recipient. And today we're going to unravel why. But before we get into that, I should tell you that this is a tangled story, contained within more than 400 pages of Army documents created over the course of a 70-year time period. Those 400 pages are parts of Nininger's and Cheney's Individual Deceased Personnel Files, or IDPF for short. These files were created for servicemen who were killed in action or died during World War II. The IDPF can include reports of death and burial, death and burial investigations, dental and medical records and assessments, disinternment directives, correspondence, and so much more. Also, I'm sharing the information about Cheney and Nininger in the order that events happened, although the facts that I'm talking about were collected in any order between 1948 and 2017. And I'm streamlining the story, offering a general overview because it's really tangled. 
I mean, it's 400 plus pages of documents, reports, letters, interviews, and more. So I have purposely left out some details just for time and clarity's sake. But at the end of the episode, I'll give you information on how you can find all the details if you're interested. Also, the U.S. Army, at least at some point, didn't seem to want this information known publicly. Documents and files regarding unidentified remains were only released to the public in 2018 due to the work of John Aiken, a Vietnam veteran and amateur genealogist and researcher who became involved with Bataan Unidentified Servicemen in 2009 while trying to discover the remains of his uncle Bud. Here's John Aiken explaining how he got involved with this work. In, in about 2009, I was looking for a project and it was almost Veterans Day, and I thought, well, you know, let's let's see if we can find a, a project with a military connection. My dad and my uncles served in the military during World War II, and there was only one member of my family that didn't come back, and that was Bud Kelder. The only thing that I knew about him was that he just disappeared during the Bataan Death March. So I started researching him, and I, I got his uh, individual deceased personnel file, IDPF, and it was so obvious what happened to him. He had died in, in a POW camp, and uh, the military told the family that his remains were non-recoverable, and everyone thought, well, that meant that they didn't have any remains to return. It turned out that they did have remains to return. They just couldn't sort out exactly which were his remains, and so they buried them all as unknowns. The reason that they couldn't identify him was because they didn't have dental records. Ironically, his older brother was a dentist, and the family had the uh, dental record. And I, I figured Department of Defense will jump at the chance to identify as many of these men as they can. And they didn't want to talk to me. Uh, in, in fact, at, at a, a, a family briefing meeting that I attended, I tried to give them the records, and they wouldn't take them. They, they looked at me like I was from Mars. You want to do what? You want to identify an unknown? It, this had never been done before. And uh, yet, you know, they were telling the world that they were actively trying to account for all of these missing men. So, you know, uh, all this time I'm, I'm learning that things weren't exactly as they appeared. The military really wasn't interested in identifying these men. They just wanted to keep a lid on what I think is a national scandal. Now that we've got the stage set and some basic information out of the way, let's jump into this tangled mess of misidentification. As you know from episode 16, Lieutenant Alexander Sandy Nininger was killed in action near Abuke Bataan on January 12, 1942. That same month, so January 1942, the U.S. Army hired a Filipino civilian to dig graves for five officers in Nininger's 57th Infantry at the Abuke Town Cemetery. Remember that cemetery name, Abuke Town Cemetery. After the war, the U.S. led an effort to retrieve the remains of American servicemen killed in action or as POWs in the Philippines. Master Sergeant A.B. Abraham, a former POW himself, fluent speaker of Tagalog, and familiar with the customs of native Filipinos, because his wife was Filipina, was part of that recovery team. In December 1945, A.B. spoke to the Filipino grave digger, who showed A.B. the location of those five graves in the Abuke Town Cemetery. 
The next month, the remains of those five American servicemen were disinterred for identification and transferred to a military cemetery in Manila. The Philippines-based recovery team, which was called the American Graves Registration Unit, examined all five remains and determined that the remains from grave number nine, which they labeled unknown X1130, were those of Lieutenant Nininger. Nearly three years later, as 1948 turned into 1949, they officially made this identification in a letter to the Memorial Division of the U.S. Army's Quartermaster General in Washington, D.C. This Memorial Division had the last say in official identification, and they rejected the Graves Registration Unit's determination that the remains labeled unknown X1130 were those of Nininger. Why? Well, because the Quartermaster General's office had received a letter from Nininger's father stating that Nininger's remains were interred in Grave 9 behind the south wall of the Abuke Church. Let's pause for a moment and recognize that there are two cemeteries now in play. The Abuke Town Cemetery, where the remains of unknown X1130 were found, and the Abuke Churchyard Cemetery, where Sandy's father says his son is buried. These two names become vitally important. Now, you may be asking yourself, how would Nininger's father know where his son's remains were buried? And that is a fantastic question. And it's the heart of the mystery we're untangling today. When Sandy Nininger and Ira Cheney arrived in the Philippines, they were under the command of Colonel Richard Brooks. That's not his real name. I've decided to use an alternate name out of respect to his living family and you'll understand why in a few minutes. Colonel Brooks didn't do so well when the gun started firing, and from what I'm understanding, basically hid in the bunker or church or wherever he was feeling safest. Apparently the technical term for what happened to him is battle fatigue. Whatever it was, Brooks was relieved of command of the 57th Infantry on January 13, 1942. That's the day after Nininger died and the same day of the action for which Cheney received the Distinguished Service Cross. Once relieved of command, Colonel Brooks was apparently sent to Corregidor Island, a U.S. military island fortress about two miles south of Bataan. Or he at least was sent away from the 57th Infantry's position and from the Abuque area on Bataan. Thus, Colonel Brooks was not present at Nininger's burial. So, he had no first-hand knowledge of where Nininger was buried. Second, Brooks was not with the 57th Infantry when Ira Cheney died, so he had no first-hand knowledge of how Cheney died or where he was buried. These two points are very important, so keep them in mind as well as those two cemeteries, Abuke Town Cemetery and Abuke Churchyard Cemetery. Colonel Brooks was evacuated from Corregidor Island before the Philippines fell to the Japanese, and he came home a national hero. He was touted in newspapers all over the U.S. as a hero of Bataan who was the last ground officer to leave Bataan before its capitulation to the Japanese. I don't even know where to start with this report, because accounts suggest Brooks was off Bataan well before U.S. forces there surrendered. And his name is not on the list of Corregidor evacuees who made it out on the last submarine to leave before Corregidor surrendered. So that media coverage, it's just hype. Once home, it seems Colonel Brooks went on a sort of victory tour. 
He was a technical advisor on the John Wayne movie, Back to Baton. And somewhere during the next couple of years, he got in contact with the parents of both Nininger and Cheney, and several other 57th Infantry officers who died in those early days on Baton. Colonel Brooks told Nininger's parents that Nininger was buried at the Abuke Churchyard Cemetery in grave number nine behind the South Wall. Nininger's father passed this information onto the U.S. Army's Office of the Quartermaster General, who, apparently, took this statement as law. In all fairness, that office didn't seem to know Brooks' history on Baton. Brooks was described to them by Nininger's father as Nininger's superior officer. And everyone just seemed to assume that Brooks, in fact, had first-hand knowledge of the things he was talking about. Now that you know who Colonel Brooks is, let's go back to the Quartermaster General's Memorial Division's rejection of the remains labeled X-1130 as being those of Nininger. Because those remains were disinterred at the Abuke Town Cemetery, the Memorial Division reasoned, they could not be those of Nininger, who is known, through nebulous sources, to have been buried at the Abuke Churchyard Cemetery. Nininger was a well-known war hero, the first Medal of Honor recipient of World War II. In early 1942, his name was heralded around the United States as one of the first heroes of the war, and the army absolutely did not want to mess up identification of his remains. Well, back in Manila in 1949, the Graves Registration Unit reinvestigated the Abuke Churchyard Cemetery twice. The second time they basically dug up the entire area where Nininger and five other officers were said by Colonel Brooks to have been buried. And they disinterred the remains of 14 Filipinos as identified by an anthropologist. Rest in eternal peace or until the US Army needs to find a missing Medal of Honor recipient. In August 1949, the Memorial Division began reaching out to five officers, including Colonel Brooks, who served in or with the 57th Infantry Philippine Scouts near Abuque. Among these men were medical officers who may have had first-hand knowledge of Nininger's burial location. Brooks, who was retired by this point, doesn't seem to have written back to the Memorial Division. At least, his response is not in Nininger's IDPF. The other four officers, to a man, each reported either not having been present for Nininger's burial or were confused about burial locations and whether they had witnessed that burial. So basically, none of them could verify or negate Colonel Brooks's burial claims, although several of them did share stories they had heard about Nininger's burial. And it came out the chaplain who did bury Nininger died as a prisoner of war. He, it seemed, was the only person known to absolutely have been at Nininger's burial. So, at this point, after several attempts at identification, the disinternment of the Abuke Churchyard Cemetery, and having no eyewitnesses to Nininger's actual burial location, the U.S. Army publicly declared in September 1950 that Nininger's remains were non-recoverable. And those unknown X-1130 remains were laid to rest in what would become Manila American Cemetery, Grave J-720. And then, the next month, so October 1950, the Memorial Division began reaching out to several more 57th Infantry officers, again including Colonel Brooks, 
The Memorial Division's Captain Vogel recorded the findings of his phone calls with each of these men. During his conversation with Brooks, Vogel told the colonel that the Abuke Churchyard Cemetery had been thoroughly disinterred and that no remains matching Nininger's height, dental records, or race were found. Colonel Brooks' response? The Japanese must have dug up and moved or destroyed his remains after they took possession of Abuke City. And the Japanese did so because, well, they were probably very upset with Nininger, who had killed many Japanese soldiers and earned the Congressional Medal of Honor for doing so. I find this explanation far-fetched. I'm just not buying that the Japanese would know exactly where Nininger's grave was. Maybe it was marked by dog tags, but still, is it reasonable to believe Japanese were inspecting all the graves on Bataan searching for graves of specific soldiers they didn't like? Also, I don't know if I buy that the Japanese forces were so aware of Nininger as the Medal of Honor recipient to seek him out on a battlefield cemetery. I just don't buy this theory, and neither does John Aiken. He's the Vietnam vet I told you about at the beginning of this episode. He told me, I've heard several people say similar things that uh, the Japanese uh, destroyed uh, uh, graves and uh, things like that. I've never seen any documented evidence that it actually happened. There, there was no reason for it. You know, who wants to go around digging up graves? Uh, you know, they're, 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 they're generally rather unpleasant. Let's put it that way. So maybe, maybe knock down a, a marker or something, but... Uh, not digging up uh, graves. Nobody wants it's, it's a very unpleasant smell, if nothing else. In the end, to me, the theory that enemy forces disinterred Nininger seems like a byproduct of the rampant wartime anti-Japanese sentiment. Of his conversation with Brooks, the Memorial Division's Captain Vogel recorded. Colonel Brooks appeared hesitant in giving information, always referring me to the letters he sent the next of kin. So, not getting much useful information from Brooks, Vogel moved on to interviewing other officers about Nininger's burial. And while doing so, he discovers some vital and very inconvenient information about Lieutenant Ira Cheney. At this point, we need to circle back to Lieutenant Ira Cheney's death and his body's recovery on Bataan. On February 7th or 8th, 1942, American forces were able to find Cheney's body. A captain in the 57th Infantry identified Cheney's body, which was duly recorded by a Graves registration officer. That registration officer told the captain that Cheney's remains would be taken to a U.S. Army cemetery near Maravellis. That's a town on the very southern point of Bataan. But this registration officer didn't state or record which of two Maravellis cemeteries Cheney was being buried in. After Colonel Brooks returned to the U.S. from the Philippines, he met with Cheney's parents in San Francisco. This was about June or July 1942, so roughly six months after Cheney's death. The parents wanted Colonel Brooks to tell them the details of their son's death and burial, and Colonel Brooks was happy to oblige. A later investigation into Cheney's burial stated, Cheney's father interviewed Colonel Brooks in San Francisco. Colonel Brooks, who is described by the father as his son's superior, stated at this interview that Lieutenant Cheney was killed by machine gun fire and was buried in the churchyard at Abuke, 12 steps to the right of the south center door. But the thing is, and you've probably already put this together, 
Colonel Brooks was not with the 57th Infantry when Cheney died on January 30th. Brooks had been relieved of command at least two weeks before. Also, the U.S. abandoned Abuke on January 25th and 26th, withdrawing several miles south to form a new front line. So, by February 7th, 8th, when Cheney's body was recovered, Abuke and its churchyard cemetery was in Japanese possession. And I don't know about you, but I don't see the Japanese welcoming American chaplains into the Abuke churchyard to bury bodies. In 1948, so roughly three years after the war ended and six years after Cheney's death, his parents approached their U.S. congressman, one Richard M. Nixon. They were frustrated by the slow identification of their son's remains and wanted him identified and returned to the United States so he could be buried at West Point, his alma mater. They gave to Nixon Colonel Brooks's info on Cheney's burial, which stated that Cheney was buried at the Churchyard at Abu Kay, 12 steps to the right of the South Center door. In addition, the Cheneys were upset because they'd recently received a letter from the Army's Personal Effects Office addressed to their son. And when someone came to deliver his footlocker, the Cheneys had to explain that their son, their only son, had been killed in action four years earlier. To add insult to injury, the footlocker's lock had been broken and the effects looted. Going back to Nixon's part in this story, armed with this inaccurate burial information, and wanting to please his constituents, the congressman forwarded Brooks's information to the U.S. Army's Quartermaster General Memorial Division, which lit a fire under them to find Cheney. A 1948 memo from that office stated, Representative Nixon of California is interested in this case in behalf of the father, who is dissatisfied with the failure of the Army to give him what he considered adequate evidence that it has done anything toward the recovery of the remains of his son. So, the Memorial Division forwarded the, still inaccurate, burial information to the Grave Registration Unit in the Philippines, where a field team was working to identify U.S. servicemen's remains. A search team was sent to the Abuquet Churchyard Cemetery, where they counted 12 steps from the church door, dug, found fragments of remains, and identified those as Lieutenant Cheney. The remains, they said, matched Cheney's Army dental record and, said a report, Remains recovered as Lieutenant Cheney are in agreement with statement of Colonel Brooks. It is therefore recommended that identification of the remains of First Lieutenant Cheney Jr. be confirmed as Ira B. Cheney Jr. Thus, Lieutenant Cheney's remains were sent to the U.S. and, on February 24, 1949, he was laid to rest at West Point. Cheney identification case closed. But, and you already know this, Colonel Brooks's info was wrong. And in the fall of 1950, when the Memorial Division's Captain Vogel was contacting 57th Infantry officers about Nininger's burial, he happened to mention they'd uncovered Cheney's remains at the Abuke Churchyard Cemetery. And that's when one of the 57th's officers said, uh, I don't think so. Actually, his words were, Cheney could not have been interred in or nearby the Abuke Churchyard since he was killed long after the town of Abuke was abandoned to the Japanese. Vogel's report continued. The comment concerning Lieutenant Cheney first brought out the possibility that the remains now interred in the cemetery at West Point may not be those of this decedent. And that's what we call an oh moment. Armed with this new, inconvenient information, 
the identification team reached out to people present at Cheney's death and body identification and learned that he was taken to a Maravella cemetery. With this new information, the Remains ID team examined their records from the two Maravellas area cemeteries. They discovered that while disinterring the two battlefield cemeteries near Maravellas, where the battlefield grave registration officer said Cheney's body would be taken, there were several unknown soldiers. But based on height, weight, and dental records, none of these unknown remains could have been those of Lieutenant Cheney. Thus, in November 1950, nearly two years after Cheney was laid to rest at West Point, the Memorial Division concluded, These conversations revealed information which indicates that the remains presently interred in the U.S. Military Academy Post Cemetery, West Point, New York, as First Lieutenant Ira B. Cheney Jr. are not those of Lieutenant Cheney. And then, nothing happened. Except that the reports of these conversations read Cheney's remains were put in a second separate IDPF for Cheney, marked secret, and hidden away in the top secret warehouse where the Ark of the Covenant is stored. Okay, I made up that last part, but Cheney's secret IDPF was stored away from public reach until 2018, which was unlike other IDPF files. Yep. For 68 years, the Army had evidence that Lieutenant Cheney's remains were not at West Point, and they don't seem to have told anyone. But in 2018, Cheney's secret file was made public, and suddenly, the secret about the West Point remains was out. In 2019, the West Point remains were disinterred, inspected, and determined to be Filipino. So, in other words, they are the remains of some native Filipino which were disinterred by the U.S. Army, transported to the United States, and reinterred under Cheney's name. How tragic for the Cheney family, and how sad for this Filipino and his family. Today, in 2023, Cheney's remains still have not been identified. His remains are considered non-recoverable. That means that they could still be buried somewhere on Bataan, or they could lie in a grave marked unknown at the Manila American Cemetery, or they could be somewhere else. The only thing known for certain is that Cheney's remains are not at West Point. Back on Bataan, there were eight other battlefield cemeteries between Quinan Point, where Cheney was killed, and Maravellas. Many 57th Infantry men who fought in Quinan Point were buried in two cemeteries on or near that point. It's possible that Cheney could have been interred in any of these. However, as far as I've found, comparisons with any unknown remains recovered from those cemeteries have not been made with Cheney's records. John Aiken elaborated. Most likely, he was buried near where he fell, but exactly where, uh, we, we don't know. He was an officer in the Philippine Scouts, so most of the troops that died at the same time as, as he did were Filipinos. And it's, it, it's not unlikely that his remains were given to the uh, Philippine government who had their own cemetery. And uh, it, it's not unlikely that he's buried there. Let's go back to Nininger. When we left off, Nininger's remains were declared non-recoverable with the assumption that his remains were somewhere in the Abuke churchyard and somehow missed by the three investigations in that yard. 
Also, the remains labeled unknown X-1130, which had been suggested several times as Nininger's remains, were buried in a grave marked unknown at Manila American Cemetery. The U.S. Army, it seems, had finished searching for Nininger. However, Nininger's nephew, John Patterson, spent a lot of time during the 1960s, 70s, and 80s speaking with members of the 57th Infantry about Nininger and attempting to obtain clues and eyewitness accounts to his real burial location. Because at this point, it seemed extremely unlikely that Nininger was buried at the Abukay Churchyard Cemetery, as the army continued to believe. During that investigation, Patterson attended a reunion of the Philippine Scouts 57th Infantry, where he spoke with a man who was the deputy commanding officer of the 57th Medical Detachment, and as such was an eyewitness to Nininger's and four other officers' burials. This deputy commanding officer gave Patterson a map showing the burial site for Nininger, and that burial site map showed a location south of and across a small river from the Abukay Churchyard Cemetery. It marked graves in the Abukay Town Cemetery. That deputy commanding officer also indicated that those four other officers were buried at the same time and place. All four of those men have also been declared non-recoverable as well. In the mid-1980s, Patterson petitioned the U.S. Army to reinvestigate Nininger's remains. Not much seems to have happened on the U.S. Army end between then and 2012, but in 2012, there was some movement. By this time, handling of missing in action and killed in action remains was moved to a Department of Defense organization called the Joint POW-MIA Accounting Command, or JPAC which is today in 2023 known as the Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency, or DPAA. But I'm going to refer to everything as the DOD from here on out, just to simplify. In 2012, the DOD decided to reinvestigate the question of Nininger's burial from the beginning, meaning they started at the Abukay Churchyard Cemetery again. And this time, they had a new source that was unavailable in the 1940s and 50s. This new source stated that Nininger's remains were in Grave 9, behind the wall at Abukay Churchyard. That source was Find a Grave. If you're not familiar with Find a Grave, it's a crowdsourced site where users upload grave photos, locations, and information, as well as bios of the deceased. Thousands of dedicated volunteers walk cemeteries taking photos, recording burial data, and then post it to the website. I honor them and their invaluable work. And I use Find a Grave at least weekly while researching this podcast. However, it is, at best, a secondary source, and, more often, a tertiary source. In many cases, it has useful, accurate information, but contributors don't have to cite sources. I've found all sorts of wrong information, So, all in all, Find a Grave is a beneficial resource, but it should be taken with several grains of salt. And I can absolutely 100% emphatically say that an official government organization should not be using information from Find a Grave to identify American soldiers' missing remains. But there it is, 
printed in black ink on a memo under the seal of the Joint POW-MIA Accounting Command. Unbelievable. The burial information about Nininger being at Abuke Churchyard Cemetery likely came from a memorial plaque on a mausoleum wall at the churchyard stating that Nininger is buried there. Because the plaque about Nininger was on the wall of a mausoleum containing five above-ground tombs, the DOD unsealed all of those tombs. And they found that all they'd done was disturb the rest of local deceased Filipino citizens. Well, as probably could be predicted, that 2012 search to identify Nininger didn't result in identification of Nininger's remains. And I think John Aiken makes some great points regarding this. I, I think it just illustrates how incomplete the military's research is. You know, they're, they're researchers. Well, to me, they're, they're pretty much a joke. I've, I've seen their researchers do sworn statements contradicted each other, either because they're not aware of the facts or they're trying to please their bosses or... Maybe they just didn't have all of the uh, research material. In 2017, after 70 years of this back and forth over Nininger's remains, Nininger's nephew John Patterson and others sued the U.S. government, seeking for them to disinter the grave of unknown X-1130 at the Manila American Cemetery and do DNA testing to see if the remains were in fact Nininger's. Finally, in 2018, the DOD did so. They told the family via email that the remains did not test positive for Nininger. That email is the only documentation the DOD sent the family. But here's something to consider. When testing remains, the DOD apparently uses mitochondrial DNA testing. Now, I could go into a long spiel about the different kinds of DNA testing. And in doing so, I might lose you more than I probably already have or bore you to sleep. So let's just say that in today's world, using mitochondrial DNA for precise identification is like trying to watch high definition video using a VCR tape. Mitochondrial DNA has its uses, but precise identification of remains is not one of them. Mitochondrial DNA is often the only type of DNA that can be obtained from ancient remains because this type of DNA breaks down slowly. So when scientists have identified cavemen using DNA or Marie Antoinette's hair, it's mitochondrial DNA they found and tested. The DOD says that the aged remains of World War II servicemen offer only mitochondrial DNA. However, John Aiken has had a different experience. That was DOD's excuse for years, that nuke DNA could not be extracted from what they considered to be aged remains. But I, I think we, we, we put the, the lie to that claim a few years ago. We sent one of Bud Kelder's bones that they returned to us. We sent it to a commercial DNA lab and let them sample it. And they had no problem whatsoever extracting nuke or autosomal DNA, it's unique to an individual. And in fact, they were not a, not only able to extract nuke DNA from this supposedly aged remains that nuke couldn't be extracted from, they were able to use it to 
perform a blind genetic genealogy study and identify the source of those uh, remains. Circling back to the search for Nininger's remains, has DNA absolutely proved that remains unknown X1130 is 100% not Nininger? The answer? We don't know. We don't know what kind of DNA test was done on those remains. There's a number of places that he could be buried today. We'll, we'll never know in, until they come up with, a, with an effective uh, identification process, preferably a DNA-led identification process that resolves all of the MIA cases from that area. So, after all this, where are we? Well, neither Cheney's nor Nininger's remains have been positively identified. They are likely either in a battlefield cemetery somewhere on Bataan, or in graves marked unknown at the Manila American Cemetery. Also, Cheney and Nininger are not the only instances of Bataan remains misidentification or non-identification as the case may be. I've hinted to at least four or five other non-recoverable officers on Bataan, but even here, these aren't isolated cases. A 2013 CBS News article claimed, The Pentagon's effort to account for tens of thousands of Americans missing in action from foreign wars is so inept, mismanaged, and wasteful that it risks descending from dysfunction to total failure, according to an internal study suppressed by military officials. Largely beyond the public spotlight, the decades-old pursuit of bones and other MIA evidence is sluggish, often duplicative, and subjected to too little scientific rigor, the report says. The Associated Press obtained a copy of the internal study after Freedom of Information Act requests for it by others were denied. The report paints a picture of a joint POW-MIA accounting command, a military-run group known as JPAC and headed by a two-star general, as woefully inept and even corrupt. The command is digging up too few clues on former battlefields, relying on inaccurate databases and engaging in expensive boondoggles in Europe, the study concludes. Inept, mismanaged, wasteful, dysfunctional, total failure. I understand that war is chaotic, that records have errors, that things go missing, that memories fail, and that many other things can cause confusion and misidentification. So, I have some sympathy for the offices trying to identify the remains. At the same time, in the cases of Cheney and Nininger, the Army and DOD has let Colonel Brooks's story, which has been proven to be false, guide their decisions for seven decades. Cheney, Nininger, and other Baton missing and non-recoverable gave their lives for their country and have been truly left behind for more than three quarters of a century. And that's tragic. I guess my mind just goes to a place of war where young men are brave but scared, far from their home and family and not wanting to die. And then the worst happens and they never do go home. It's just not right. Here's what John Aiken has to say. When someone enlists in the army, they, they figure that at the very least, their remains are going to be returned to their family for burial. And yet, if some young trooper sees how they have handled these World War II unidentified remains, there's no reason that he's going to think that his remains are going to be returned to his mother for burial. And let me tell you, you know, as, as a Vietnam veteran, I don't know how many times I, I heard 
other guys, and I certainly felt this way, if, if we died, that wasn't a big deal. We were young, stupid, and bulletproof. But don't bury me in this red dirt over here. We all wanted to go home one way or another. To, to us, Vietnam was the worst place that, that we could be. And we didn't want to be there for all eternity. But I, I think that most GIs feel that way. If nothing else, they deserve to have their own name on their headstone. Not just here lies in honor, glory, a comrade known but to God. That's not adequate. At least give him his name back. As we wrap up, I feel like this episode deserves a call to action. So here goes. First, if nothing else, this Memorial Day, let's remember the missing and unknowns, be it on Bataan, in Europe, in Vietnam, on a Civil War battlefield, in Afghanistan, or anywhere in the world. We may not know their names, but we can remember, acknowledge, and honor their sacrifices. Second, if you'd like to know more about missing and unidentified soldiers on Bataan, please check out my full interview with John Aiken. It's available as a bonus episode wherever you're listening to this podcast. I'd also encourage you to visit batonmissing.com. That site details more missing soldiers. Here's John Aiken again. Uh, this, this is something that's near and dear to my heart because I've, I believe these guys deserve better than what what they've got from our government. If anyone has a missing family member and they're looking for information, I'll be glad to share anything that I have on them. I have a lot of data that I've accumulated about all these guys, and I can be contacted through the batanmissing.com website. That's B-A-T-A-A-N missing.com, and I'll be glad to share anything that I have with any of the family members. Lastly, if you think remembering these men is important, share Cheney's and Ninager's stories with people you know. Memorial Day too often becomes all about barbecues and furniture sales. So take a moment at your weekend barbecue to share this story, either in your own words or by forwarding this podcast episode. Because no one deserves to be forgotten. No one deserves to be left behind. Thanks for listening. You can find pictures, maps, and sources about Ira Cheney's and Alexander Nininger's stories on my website. The link is in the show description. Left Behind is researched, written, and produced by me, Anastasia Harmon. Voiceovers by Tyler Harmon and Paul Sutherland. Special thanks to John Aiken of BatonMissing.com for his time, information, and document sharing, without which this episode would not be possible. Dramatizations are based on historical research, although some creative liberty is taken with dialogue. And I'll be back next time with the only Filipino in World War II to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor. (laughs) 